This is a Chronicle podcast, bringing you ideas in the service of medicine. From the Chronicle podcast system, this is the NPC podcast of the National Pharmaceutical Congress for November 16, 2022. The NPC podcast is where we discuss and consider the purpose, process and people of the pharma industry, and today, we'll continue the healthcare conversation. This program is presented in cooperation with Imprez, Canada's next-generation commercial partner. The industry is rapidly evolving, and Imprez is designed to help you evolve with it. Learn more about Imprez tailored best-in-class solutions at www.imprez.com. Our guest today is Carol Stiff, General Manager, Rhythm Pharmaceuticals Canada. Carol will join your hosts, Jim, Mark, and Mitch. And to start today's conversation, here's Mitch Shannon, CEO of Chronicle Companies. Welcome back to the NPC podcast from the National Pharmaceutical Congress. I'm your co-host, Mitch Shannon, and we're coming to you once again from our historic podcast, Gondola, following in the footsteps of all the greats from the golden age of life sciences podcasting. And I'm thinking in particular of Slappy Life Sai, who made us laugh with his hilarious catchphrase, good evening and eureka. So let's say hello to our podcast pals. First, the pharmaceutical industry consultant and healthcare expert, Mark McElwain. What's the news from Leeside, Mark? Well, this time of year in Leeside, it's all about leaves, raking leaves and talking about the Leafs goalie situation. Well, interesting, interesting. Now we welcome from Montreal in Quebec, James Shea, General Manager at the Council for Continuing Pharmaceutical Education. How are things out your way, Jim? Well, it's a beautiful day here on the West Island, clear and crisp. You know, following that leaf leaves thing, you know, pretty much all the leaves are off the trees now. So the time comes when the chess matches begin between the neighbors. You know, who's going to act first and get the leaves off their lawn? If you act first, the people feel compelled to keep your area free. So they do their leaves, you know, right away. But then if you wait and you're the last person, then the wind has taken care of most of your business. So, you know, the dance of the late fallen leaves has begun here. God, you describe that. I can picture it so perfectly. It's a tough one. It is. So we are your podcast hosts, known simply as Jim, Mark, and Mitch, because all the creative brand names were already taken, such as Freedom Convoy and Hello Fresh. So, fellas, let's make some room in the gondola for Carol Stiff. Carol, it's great to see you. Nice to see you too, Mitch and Jim and Mark. Thank you for having me. So, Carol, you are currently the general manager of Rhythm Pharmaceuticals Canada as of four months ago. So let me start with the obvious question that our listeners will want to know. What's Rhythm Pharmaceuticals and what attracted you to take the role? So, yes, you are correct. I am just a few months in and uh, you know, still drinking from a fire hose, certainly. So Rhythm is a Boston-based pharma company. We're focused on rare genetic diseases of obesity. And so I'm certainly really proud to be part of this dynamic team that's aimed at transforming lives of patients living with rare genetic diseases of obesity. And really excited about, on top of that, you know, on top of the therapeutic area, just excited about building uh, the Canadian affiliate and contributing to innovation in Canada. Yeah, Carol, it's Mark. So your resume has a number of interesting companies on it. Purdue, Twice, Baxter, Biogen, Allergan. 
you know, that's a bunch of pretty different corporate cultures. So, you know, apart from working with lots of people in our industry, including me, what would you say you took away from these different organizations in terms of culture? It's a great question, Mark. And I know you're probably familiar with some of the cultures that, <laughs> that I've worked within in some of these organizations. I would say not only from a cultural standpoint, but certainly, of course, from a therapeutic standpoint, these organizations are all vastly, vastly different. So, you know, whether that therapeutic focus feeds into the cultural aspect, quite possibly. I would say, you know, I was also in vastly different roles in each of these organizations. So I think that also colors how you experience the culture, depending on sort of, you know, you know what role you're playing. You know, and I sort of was in roles, everything from sales to marketing, to patient support, to organization, PNL building. So pretty much the whole gauntlet. And so, you know, what I can say is that, you know, I've taken away bits and pieces from each experience and kind of put together, you know, ultimately what I see as an ideal culture. And, you know, and, and, and I think as with many things in life, you learn a lot from the experiences you don't want to replicate, you know, and I've certainly been in situations, you know, where I've witnessed culture eating strategy for breakfast. I think we all know that saying, and you have been in in the thick of those situations. And, and when you are, you learn very fast what you don't want to be a part of, if that makes sense. But more than that, I think it's even harder to find what it is that you do want to be part of. And so hence why I say you kind of pick and choose and you find those bits and pieces and learnings through, you know, a variety of different organizations. And, you know, I would say I've had the privilege to work with a number of high functioning team cultures and team cultures that, you know, I have attempted to to replicate in my career. In fact, I've had two scenarios is really interesting. And, and I am super lucky to have, have been part of this. That two teams that have described themselves similarly as family, you know, and some of those team members have been and still are lifelong friends. You know, and these are the type of people, for me anyways, that you tend to work to seek out uh, as teammates, in managers, and, you know, and, and to hire into, into teams uh, later. And you know, I think, you know, this is something that, you know, I aim to foster when I'm building a team. And I think trust and transparency is front and center communication and also having a little bit of fun. And I think this is very much in line with uh, what my colleagues, Janine Peugeot and Dave Runwick on the NPC panel this past week also iterated in our conversations. That's good. So let's change gears a little bit and talk about emerging from COVID. And so I'm just wondering how you have adapted to our new reality, which, you know, the virtual work and virtual teams is something we didn't have really so much three years ago. And, you know, we certainly it's front and center now. Mark, I was in a bit of an unusual situation, I think, when COVID hit in that I was already in a hybrided work environment. So you know, from an office standpoint, there really was minimal disruption, let's say, you know, disappointment and not seeing colleagues face to face as much as normal. It wasn't a huge, huge hiccup for me, to be honest. I think the biggest challenge, of course, that we've all discussed ad nauseum was, you know, trying to get those face to face meetings in with customers. But I do think that, you know, you know, you just sort of witnessing changes across our industry and, and industry at large, I think it has forced a lot of companies to modernize virtual versus in-person working styles. And, you know, I think we've all learned that we can we can be productive working virtually, sometimes even more so. But, you know, we also can't lose sight of that intangible benefit of face-to-face interactions that 
like I said, intangible in terms of relationship building when you aren't face-to-face at some level, maybe not nine to five, Monday to Friday, but, you know, in, in, in terms of some semblance of face-to-face. Okay, well, it's Jim here. So if we take out the virtual uh, out of this potential answer, what kind of changes did the pandemic require that you think are for the better and are actually going to be here to stay? Well, you know what? I think, Jim, I think one thing that pops into my head, I think we would all agree that this was a change. I think it was a good thing, but I don't know that it's actually stayed. It it feels right now that it's kind of reverting back was travel. So let's say air travel more specifically, you know, not getting in your car and driving, you know, 10 kilometers. It's the air travel scenario that, of course, we were all grounded for quite some time. I think that for me, I feel like that was a positive change and that it forced us to rethink, do we really need to get on a flight to be face to face? Sometimes yes, but did we need to do it every month or does everybody need to be at every meeting and get on a flight? You know, I think there's that impact, you know, not only from the financial standpoint, but from climate impact perspective, I think that sort of forced us to rethink that. Although speaking with colleagues and myself included, it does feel like that's very quickly reverting back to to pre-COVID. You know, one of the other things that I think very importantly is a change, and I hope that this is to stay, and I do feel like it is staying, is I think this has forced us to rethink whether you show up at the office at all costs, even when you're sick. COVID or not, I think COVID has pushed us to sort of shift this paradigm that, you know, we need to be at work in the office, even if, you know, we're feeling a little bit under weather and I think this has helped us all to sort of prioritize our health, our own health, as well as the health of those around us. And I think that, you know, not only as individuals, but as an organization, I think and hope that it's pushed us to realize that nobody wants anybody in the office when they're sick. You're not productive. It's not good for your health. It's not good for those around you. It's not a responsible thing for us to be enforcing as organizations. So I think that's maybe one positive that's come out of COVID and, and I hope that that's here to stay. Yeah, I do too. I, I have a small team, which is only five people. And that's what I told people pre-COVID. I was telling people, if you have a cold or, or flu or anything, please stay away because we can't afford to have two or three people in the office get sick. So I'm all about that for sure. So, yeah. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think we see this in all industries, right? you know, where industries are being taken down because you know, whether it's COVID or it, or it's something else, you know, that's taking out small teams and making, you know, massive impacts to business. And, you know, let's, let's face it too. It's just, it's just the right thing to do for our, our health, really. Well, I, I'm going to uh, switch gears a little bit and talk because I'm the education guy in learning. I'm going to swing back to your bachelor's degree in poli-sci. So how has your educational background, and we'll say not the learning experience that you've had in business, but the actual going to school, how has that impacted your career? Well, I think, you know, post-secondary education, you know, when I started in the industry an undetermined number of years ago, you know, post-secondary is a requirement for entry-level jobs put in the door. You know, I don't, as you noted, I don't have a science background. So, you know, I will admit, I think Initially, that sort of put me a little bit behind the eight ball when I first started as a sales rep. Well, sometimes I think that's a good thing because, you know, we're hiring salespeople that are science background, but I think we need a a more diverse group of people to come in and do the job. So I'm all on board on that. So sorry for interrupting. I'll let, let you continue. 
No, no, of course, of course. Well, thank you for that support. <laughs> you know, I'm biased, but of course, I, you know, I would tend to agree that I think, you know, having a bit of a different background does bring a different perspective. And my poli-sci degree was focused on Canadian government. And so, you know, these days with all kinds of political change around pricing, reimbursement, et cetera, you know, having that knowledge of how Canadian government functions has interestingly come in handy, but shameless plug though, Jim, I did take advantage fully of CCPE education when I started off as a rep, you know, of course, the certification programs and then a number following that. And in all seriousness, that was an incredible advantage, I suppose, for someone like myself that doesn't come from a science background. We're speaking with poli grad Carol Stiff of Rhythm Pharmaceuticals Canada on the NPC podcast. So Carol, you've done something that's unheard of in the pharmaceutical world. You began your career working with our friends Joe and Mike at CTC Communications, which is a medical publishing group, before moving to the other side of the desk as a pharma exec. Why do you think you and, and possibly Dan Leger in Montreal are the only two people in the world who can make this claim? To be honest, Mitch, I don't know if we are the only two people have gone from agency to client side. What I can say is when I was at CTC, it was a bit more than just publishing. So, you know, there was a marketing arm, a conference planning, CME events. And so, you know, I got a lot of exposure to different pharma at the time, clients and companies. And the reality is, you know, I didn't sort of make a quick leap from agency to sort of straight to pharma, except there were a lot, as we talked about earlier, a ton of different roles in between. You know, and I just took a leap of faith taking a role in primary care sales coming out of CTC based, you know, on those exposures to to pharma companies, always kind of expecting the grass to be greener on the other side. Um, you know, and I'd taken that role fully expecting just to do sales for a couple of years to get my foot in the door. You know, back then, you know, that was sort of the right of entry. You do you carry the bag, so to speak, for a little bit and then go into marketing. But I actually ended up absolutely loving the sales side of the business and stayed for almost 10 years in a number of different sales capacities and then moved into other roles and increasing responsibility without getting into the boring details. And just a number of serendipitous opportunities led one to another. And, you know, I guess it could be argued whether I was lucky enough or foolish enough to have the gumption to say yes to, to to opportunities as they came to me. And I think that's just really what landed me from that point to this point. Carol, it's Mark again. So let me start with the fact the pharma industry is still pretty much male dominated. I guess we're not going to dispute that. But could you tell us about some of the challenges you've had to face as a woman in a leadership position in this industry? And I think challenges likely aren't any different than any other industry. To be quite honest, I've only ever really worked in this industry. So, you know, I'm only speaking from this experience. But, you know, I think oftentimes the challenges, you know, sometimes and the obvious thing, you know, being the only woman in the room, it's still kind of surprising to me that there still are a lot of times where I walk into a room of senior leaders only to be, you know, the only woman there. You know, I think some of the challenges too are, perceptions, I suppose, you know, oftentimes, if you're if I'm with, let's say, for example, a male direct report, oftentimes, there's an assumption, even by customers that that I'm reporting into him versus him reporting into me. So, you know, how do you navigate that and, you know, correct someone without, you know, without being sort of offensive. Uh, but, you know, I do think our industry appears to be balancing out in terms of male female ratio in junior and let's say middle management, I think where we're still seeing a big gap is more in the senior leadership roles. 
but I will say on a positive note, there are a lot of people who do make efforts to improve this. And, you know, and I know I mentioned this at, at NPC last week, but I don't think that we should discount the small gestures that are made. So for example, you know, when a woman is walking into a room and it's a group of men and she doesn't know them and, you know, pulling her into a conversation, making sure she has the opportunity to have her voice heard. These small gestures or even making introductions, these small gestures, I think can make a huge difference, you know, and, and I've, I've been the beneficiary of a lot of these different intentional or unintentional small gestures of inclusion. I would just say it's not unnoticed. And they can have a long, to me, a long lasting impact on inclusion and building trust and, and also building networks. And what I mean by that is, you know, when someone extends, you know, and of course, when I say someone it's you know, typically a male that's extending this gesture, I tell my network about this, I let them know about, you know, what's happened in the positive experience. So, you know, my intention with that is that I hope that it, it continues to foster that kind of behavior and reminds us that these small gestures can make a, you know, a shift in attitude that, that whatever that saying is a drop in the ocean starts a wave, wave of motion. But I will say that one of the struggles that I would note with women, more so the one women that are reporting into me is still trying to juggle that raising children in a career scenario. I think the reality is right or wrong. The reality is that the majority of these responsibilities still fall to mom. And until that sort of starts to balance out as 50-50, there's still unique challenges faced by women. Not that men don't struggle with it, but in general terms, it does still tend to fall to mom disproportionately. So, you know, keeping a work environment flexible to accommodate, I think, is also a positive outcome from COVID, just hearkening back to the the beginning questions. Well, it's Jim here again. Thanks for sharing that. That is a great answer to a, a good question for sure. So we've learned that you're CCP accredited, you had 10 years on the road, both, you know, congrats for both, uh, both of those things. But uh, this year, you're also inducted into the Canadian Healthcare Marketing Hall of Fame. So at the NPC, could you tell us a little bit about that honor and what it means to you? Yes. And thank you for that, Jim. And, and thank you to, to the NPC. This truly was a, a full circle moment for me. There's a number of Hall of Fame members who have been and still are mentors and and even now I would consider friends. So it's a bit stunning, I suppose, to be considered alongside them. On top of this, one of the women uh, I look up to most in this industry, uh, Eileen McMahon, personally and professionally, was also inducted this year. And I had the utter privilege of introducing her almost in parallel to me. And that was just really a full circle moment and an absolute thrill to be able to to basically do that in, in the same breath. So really an honor and, like I said, a full circle moment. Very nice. So we're winding down the podcast now. It's kind of like the falling leaves, I must say, you know. So I, I invite you to play our word association game. So just go ahead and say the first thing that comes to mind and respond to each of the falling phrases or words. And that remember the the neighbors are listening. So, healthcare marketing, legal and compliance, strategy, culture. Oh, social impact, responsibility, innovation, creativity. Well, that, those are the answers to those questions, and and you didn't know this, but we were actually. Giving you points. And again, uh, Google, Googleplex of points for this gentleman. Would you agree? So 
Carol, finally, it's time to put on your soothsayer's hat and enter our prognostication corner. So we're going to ask you for some bold predictions. What predictions would you make about the life sciences industry during the coming, let's say, 12 or 24 months? Well, firstly, Mark, I do want to say that I am impressed that you were able to enunciate all of that soothsayer prognostication corner. It's a mouthful. <laughs> I didn't write it, but away you go. <laughs> well, we make it easier because, you know, corner is spelt with a K for knowledge. So well, there you go. I would say I would be remiss if I did not say that I worry about the mental and physical health of all healthcare professionals at, and, you know, and particularly the rate at which they are leaving professions and the tipping point, I think that the pandemic has pushed our healthcare system. It wasn't without flaws prior to the pandemic. I am hopeful that governments and particularly voters are seeing this and making this not a top priority, but the priority for, you know, I think we all know that we have nothing if not our health. From an industry standpoint, specifically, I do think we have a tough road ahead in terms of sorting out new PMPRB guidelines and pushing to improve access and time to access for patients. I am hopeful I and mean, cautiously optimistic that the pandemic has fostered interest and increased value in innovative medicines and what our industry contributes to healthcare in Canada. And I do think that we have a wonderful opportunity ahead to learn from other markets and cultivate a sustainable and responsible approach to a rare disease strategy, finally, in Canada. Well, Carol, thanks for sharing your views and ideas with us today. And congratulations again on joining the Canadian Healthcare Marketing Hall of Fame last week. That was a memorable afternoon. Thank you, Mitch. And thank you, Jim and Mark. It was great to see you all. And thank you for a fun conversation. Yeah, we thank our listeners for spending some time with us. And we will speak to you again next week. If you've got rhythm, you can't ask for anything more. But if you've got questions for Carol Stiff, send an email to health at chronicle.org. We invite your comments about today's conversation. Feel free to show off your tech savvy by attaching your question as a voice clip. If you enjoyed today's NPC podcast, please like it, rate it, recommend it, and do make a point of sharing it with your colleagues. Find us wherever you get your podcasts, or just ask your smart device to play the National Pharmaceutical Congress podcast on TuneIn. The NPC podcast is presented in cooperation with Imprez, Canada's next-generation commercial partner. Check them out at www.imprez.com. I'm your announcer, Leona Void, speaking. This podcast was produced by Jeremy Visser. Research for this program came from John Evans. The musical theme is performed with gleeful abandon by the NPC Podcast Orchestra, under the skilled direction of maestro Olivia Milbrook. We'll speak again next week.